Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things big emotions and anxiety, emotion regulation. Today, I'm very excited. I have another special guest, Dr. John Gruda. He is very accomplished. I will have his full profile in the show notes for you, as well as links to where you can see his work and where you can connect with him. To introduce him for today, Dr. Gruda is an assistant professor in organizational behavior at Maynooth University in Ireland. He's a researcher focusing on all sorts of things that I wish we had time to go into. Relational leadership, dark leadership traits, I'm fascinated by that, personality and anxiety, which we'll be talking about today. Dr. Gruda, he completed his PhD in management together with a joint doctorate in psychology. He also has several master's degrees. Uh, one that's really fascinating to me, I mean, all of it's fascinating. He's very well accomplished, uh, but his master's in effective neuroscience. And that's what inspired his work with colleagues on detecting anxiety using machine learning. And that's kind of one of the focuses that I wanted to talk about today. So thank you for joining me. It's going to be a fantastic discussion and I hope you learn lots. Well, thank you so much, John, for joining me today. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. Oh, very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Caroline. So why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm John, John Gruda. I'm a assistant professor in organizational behavior uh, at the National University of Ireland in Maynooth, which is just outside of Dublin, Ireland. Uh, and um, been working on for five years now on uh, various topics, um, one of them being uh, anxiety uh, and being measuring anxiety using uh, social media uh, data. Um, and so that's that started five years ago and it's spun off in a lot of different, you know, numerous projects uh, over the years, which uh, I, I only can, you know, applaud my co-authors for sticking with me for this long. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's one of the major um, streams of research that I do. Uh, and then we apply, you know, this, this application, this machine learning algorithm uh, in various ways, looking at uh, specifically employee well-being, because uh, I am an organizational psychologist, uh, uh, academically in terms of background and um, the numerous ways of, of how that develops uh, over time. Okay. Well, sounds so interesting. So tell us maybe a little bit about just the anxiety through social media, that piece to start with. Yeah. So that was uh, like many things in life, I like to believe, um, coincidental. Um, so I was sharing an office with um, a colleague from information systems. So computer scientists, and uh, we quickly became friends, and we actually started work on the very same day, so we had a lot to, to bond over. Um, and we uh, were looking for a project to work on together, and anxiety was uh, the, uh, somehow emerged as, as the number one project. And in hindsight, uh, it kind of makes sense. Um, I have, like I said, I'm an organizational psychologist, uh, academically in background, but I also did a master's in affective neuroscience, and one of the specializations there was indeed anxiety, fear, anxiety, mood. So in hindsight, it kind of makes sense that it spoke to me as, as something that's very important and something that we could potentially contribute to. Uh, and then, of course, with the uh, last few years having been particularly difficult uh, to deal with uh, due to the pandemic, um, I think that as a topic has really you know, emerged once again and uh, it's very much on people's minds uh, all the time, basically. So um, we found really increasingly 
um, that this is something that people want to know more about and we want to keep working on it. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, anxiety was always an epidemic and we've definitely seen huge increases and, and we know there's a correlation with social media use. There is, we tend to see more anxiety, depression, those types of things. So what have you found in your research? So the very first, uh, you know, project that, that I mentioned I worked on with my colleague was about developing a way to measure anxiety in a uh, unobtrusive manner. So if I were to ask you, how anxious are you, right? So I'm doing two things by, by doing so. First, I'm putting the thought of anxiety in your head. Right? You might not have been anxious at all, or rather you weren't really aware of it. I mean, there's always a baseline that we all have, uh, which varies. Some people are more anxious, some people are less anxious in terms of frequency throughout the day and throughout the year. But by asking you this, I could have been making you anxious already. So I'm priming you to think in one way or the other, um, which is, we don't want that, right? Because we, don't, we want to naturally measure, okay, so how, how anxious is Caroline uh, at 8.30 a.m., you know, on any given day? Uh, and how does that then develop over the, the course of the day or the week or the month or whatever it is? And so asking people is limited uh, in terms of method. So we thought, how, how else can we do that? So we turned to uh, a very uh, abundant source of information, which is Twitter. Uh, and Twitter is also very good for researchers because it's public data. Mm -hmm. So um, people can tweet whatever you like, right? Uh, and we know some people really like to take advantage of that. So we can get that information and then we can uh, reverse engineer basically, um, you know, what people have said at various times of the day and then what kind of words they use, what kind of emotions they communicate in those tweets uh, and the uh, the other part that we then did is not only is it unobtrusive but also we gathered a large uh, corpus of these tweets and we showed it to uh, I think it was 600 raters to rate these tweets to say how anxious do you think this person was uh, at the time but the caveat is we didn't actually ask how anxious do you think this person is but how frustrated how tense how worried um, how content as well which is reverse coded so that's the for us it's like the opposite of anxiety right because not every tweet of course is um, anxious so that gave us uh, an uh, observer rated measure of anxiety which we can then feed into an algorithm that can now score you know, millions of tweets uh, you know in, in in a couple of minutes uh, on on anxiety so that was the uh, that was the beginning uh, and then since then we've been working on various applications uh, of this of this very same algorithm. Okay. Uh, and so you're, you're, the one thing that kind of drew me to some of your work was this anxiety detection through mm -hmm. your linguistic analysis. So what have you noticed in doing this kind of work? Can you, are you trying to predict if someone has an anxiety disorder, for example, or what, what yeah, sort of? So the short answer of that is no, okay. <laughs> um, because we stick to subclinical um, uh, anxiety measures. So uh, the, the scale that we use where we ask people, please rate these tweets on how tense and how worried and so on uh, is, is a state trait anxiety scale. So we, we, it's not it's subclinical uh, and we are in no way uh, able to, nor do we want to diagnose anyone uh, or make predictions with regard to uh, their individual mental health uh, you know, going forward. What we are interested in is more uh, population level anxiety. So, you know, for example, we had one paper that we wrote during uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, which came out last year, 
where we looked at you know, are extroverts or were extroverts uh, more impacted by the pandemic at the beginning of the pandemic and then throughout the crisis than introverts. Because I, I do remember these, um, you know, these news articles saying, uh, call your extrovert friends and they're stuck at home and they can't do anything, they can't go out, they can't meet people, can't be social. And uh, we wanted to see whether that is actually the case. And so what we did is we gathered uh, lots of uh, data from, I think it was 200,000 observations from just New Yorkers. And, and we focused on New Yorkers, not because we are most interested in New Yorkers, but because um, if you remember, there was the pandemic hit New York, was one of the most affected areas at the very beginning. And so we wanted to measure you know, the beginning of the crisis. Uh, so after the 11th of, um, the 11th of March, I think, uh, 2020, when it was announced to be a worldwide pandemic. And New York was one of those epicenters uh, in terms of um, the US. So that's what we were most interested in. And indeed it seemed, and the data shows it very nicely actually, that uh, introverts seem to have, you can almost say like, they're a little bit buffered when it comes to the anxiety effects. So introverts in general, so people who score very low on extroversion uh, tend to be you know, happy to be by themselves more than being around other people all the time. They don't draw energy from being around other people. So to them at the beginning of the crisis, indeed there was a little bit of a buffer effect where their anxiety levels weren't that impacted. And the extroverts, you know, it goes up uh, quite drastically very quickly uh, until at some point, which I think it was around 100 days into the crisis, so about three months or so um, after March 11th, the two meet. And so then anxiety was no longer distinguishable. So everyone was just anxious. Uh, and um, we explained that by saying, well, you know, it takes a while for, for this to sink in. It takes a while for people to understand that this was, you know, a really long-term um, environmental change that we all had to go through. I remember at the beginning, they all sent us home and it was like, well, you know, this will probably last two weeks. So see you in two yeah. weeks. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's been two years, so um, maybe even a little bit more than that. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's something that people had to get used to first, as in that this is here to stay uh, and we don't have a vaccine and we don't have a way out. And, and as you can imagine, this really um, drives anxiety uh, levels of, of individuals um, quite drastically. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because at the beginning, I'm like, what pandemic? You know, I I, yeah. I am an introvert. My daughter, my one daughter is as well. And we're like, this is fantastic. We don't have to go out. I don't have to feel bad about not going out. Exactly. Uh, but, but it does. It, it does end up getting quite draining. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we, we know that there's uh, differences in terms of personality that, that can help us uh, predict our behavior in general. Uh, which means that extroverts like to be around other people and introverts much less so. But as a species, we're still a, very much a social species. So uh, without social connection, um, you know, we, we simply wouldn't exist uh, as, as people, as individuals, as a population. So it is something very, very important. And it's, it's a need to be around others and to be able to communicate with others. And I do think that uh, extroverts and introverts both we're able to, you know, we, we all sought out other ways of doing that. Um, they're not the same. Um, talking on Zoom is not the same as meeting in person, of course, uh, especially when it comes to you know, family members. But it was the next best thing. And at least it allowed us to communicate how we're feeling uh, to others, which is also very, very, uh, I mean, directly communicate, not just through social media, uh, but on a call, essentially, to say that, you know, today was a good day, or this is what I did today, and, and this is how I felt. And other people can 
of course converse with you and they, they share their day with you and that can be very comforting as well. So it can, and also at the very least, it's a little bit of a distraction, uh, even though it might be very short term from what's going on around the world. Yeah, there's still the connection because we know, and I've talked about it on my podcast before, just the isolation. And we've seen with with the pandemic how harmful it is, not just to our mental well-being, but our physical well-being as well, uh, all, all aspects. So fascinating. I've got so many different questions. Uh, I, I guess, <laughs> I, I guess, well... Uh, Maybe we'll start any other interesting findings or, or patterns that you've noticed from your research. Yeah, so we did uh, write another paper which came out um, just a few months ago and, uh, and I hope that there's a follow-up paper which is you know, uh, under review currently, which I hope will come out um, anytime now. Um, so where we looked at, you know, we looking at organizational settings. So we looked at uh, leaders uh, impacting followers anxiety on Twitter and again throughout the pandemic. So we were interested in if a tweeter tweets, if a leader tweets something, a leader we defined as like a CEO of a company uh, tweets something on Monday, uh, their followers, does that affect their followers anxiety that day, a day later, a few days later? Uh, and indeed we find that it does two days in advance. So if a leader tweets on Monday, it still, it impacts their followers. So what the followers tweet in terms of their anxiety uh, communicated in those tweets on Wednesday. Uh, so the two days in advance, um, and the two days can be easily explained as in, you're not gonna be on Twitter all the time, you're not gonna read all the tweets, um, and so you're likely to see at least some of those tweets that are coming uh, from people that you know, people that you recognize, people that are some sort of power or authority um, in terms of your, your workload. So you do care, right, what they write, so that is an effect that we found. And the, the paper that's currently under review flips this around and looks at whether followers can impact leaders as well. Um, okay. and, and we do find that to be the case as well. However, they do need to be people who are close to the leader. So, um, you know, someone who directly reports to a CEO, so like a senior director or a manager, um, that, that person certainly would have uh, the capability of influencing uh, what their leader is feeling in terms of anxiety. And again, it's this uh, two days in advance, this pattern that we find. Okay. So, I mean, this again speaks to, you know, how, how social, you know, we are as, 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 as human beings and that's how important that is to make that social connection with others where even when we are online, our feelings get transferred or get, you know, it's called emotional contagion, which has a very, very bad uh, connotation now. I think con con contagion and viral and all these keywords <laughs> now it means something completely different than they used to. So, um, but that's what it's called. So that's the proper terminology where if I feel something and I'm in the same room with you, you're likely to feel some of that, whatever it is that I'm feeling as well. So if I'm in a bad mood, you know, it's not going to make you a particularly happy person um, and vice versa. If I'm really ecstatic, very happy, just received some good news, for example, uh, it's going to, you know, help other people feel happier as well. I mean, it's momentarily, it's not long-term, uh, but um, if you have repeated exposure uh, to those individuals, then it can very much make a difference in terms of how you perceive and feel your life. Yeah. Right. Well, th that's two of my questions were, were, you know, after two days, we sort of see that effect, but it doesn't sound like it lasts long. Yeah, it doesn't. Okay. Yeah. But you have to keep in mind that, of course, people are tweeting, you know, periodically and they might not tweet 
every single day, three, four times a day, um, but you know, some weeks more than others. But if you look at it over time, the pattern with the two days in advance seems to be quite solid and it, and it seems to be working in both directions, yeah. And I was going to ask about the emotion contagion. So that's certainly mm -hmm. something that you were seeing in your research. And I know that there was research, I think it was Reddit, and they were looking at, uh, you know, depressive memes, suicidal sort of memes, those kind of things. And mm -hmm. the darker, more severe, you know, self-harming or closer to being successful with suicide were the more successful posts, the ones that were most oh, yeah, reshared. Absolutely. Did you mm -hmm. notice that? sort of thing happening yeah. as well yeah so that's something um that's that that we uh we talked about quite a bit actually because we know this like you were saying the examples you gave absolutely um and uh, also when you when you look at any sort of crisis event which impacts a lot of people at once so that they go on social media and they they write what they share and feel um and i think the example that we gave in in our paper was um the uh, the nuclear you know, catastrophe in, in 2011 in Japan uh, and how that triggered um, a lot of people went online and, and started talking um, and started, you know, reposting and posting news and so on. And yes, so the more negative emotion you have in what you post, the more likely it is to be, uh, to go viral and to spread. Uh, the more likely it is that people will repost it and share it with people that they know. And I mean, that's something really, uh, really important that the, the source, who is the one communicating? Because if, if you read something and it seems to speak to whatever it is that you believe in the moment, which might be right, which might be wrong, doesn't really matter. When you reshare that to other people, especially your friends, your friends see that, oh, but this is, this is coming from Caroline. Uh, I trust Caroline, Caroline is my friend. So I'm going to pay more attention to this. I'm gonna give it more value, more weight in terms of how much does this matter for my day or for how I perceive this crisis currently, right? So it makes a big impact. Um, and so that's how it spreads from just a few people to you know, just, just uh, communities. Uh, and those communities are no longer localized. They're mm -hmm. worldwide now. So, uh, and, and then the other aspect of this is especially on Twitter, which is an issue that um, you know, 90%, I think it was 90% of statistic in terms of um, misinformation uh, and disinformation that is spread is spread by you know just a very very few people actually so a small group of individuals who um, have either optimized this uh, approach uh, themselves or just you know keep putting out this kind of news uh, that is then spread and shared you know because the headlines are so catching that uh, people will click on it and they will read it and whether or not you think that well, I like to read the news, but I don't really, you know, I'm very critical and I assess only the information. Uh, it still will impact how you feel uh, if you do this, you know, periodically, if you do this a few times a day. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and our brain is built to be on the lookout. We've got this negativity bias. And so we are just exactly. soaking up all of those messages. And so I can see how it perpetuates and, and the misinformation. I work with a lot of teens and I know social media is a huge problem um, mm. in a lot of the families that I work with, and there's a lot of magical thinking. And so when they don't have all the information, they fill in the gaps. And so now it's just misinformation upon misinformation. And now we see right. all these conspiracy theories, the Earth is actually flat or whatever else, right? Yeah, and we're like, how absolutely. do people believe this? But we see exactly how, how that happens. So yeah. It's quite fascinating. And it's, 
And it's and it's interesting um, because you mentioned the Earth is flat um, conspiracy theory, or, or you know, community. Let's call it. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of them, and there's there's that community is growing. I mean, you know, I'm not not to be too surprised because the worldwide population is growing, so naturally there's going to be some more people there. But I mean, it's it's really it has picked up a lot of steam at least over the last uh, decade or so. So um, it, it, it's very interesting to me as well, like how some of these claims which is what they are, uh, then at some point get converted into this is the, the only truth uh, and, and the only thing that matters. Right. And so I'm going to share it. I'm going to tell everybody uh, about it. Yeah, but this negativity bias is, is exactly it. So that's the very reason why uh, when something bad happens, not only does it impact us a lot, but we will tell everybody about it so that we protect them from this impacting them as well. It's like, just be prepared. This might happen to you. You know, I mean, this mm -hmm. is why gossip is so important as well. Um, so, because it gives you information, whether or not that information is a factual, doesn't really matter as much. Uh, what matters more is the fact that something happens to you, you interpret it uh, emotionally, and then you feel the need to share it with the people close to you. So as to protect them, your, your group, your community, uh, from having to go through the same thing. So, you know, be cautious, be on the lookout. So, um, yeah, and that's something that um, I think social media just uh, allows people to really um, exacerbate in terms of the effect that, that they can have on others because it's now no longer me just talking to you but you know talking to a whole bunch of people at the same time who I don't even know but yeah. I am nonetheless impacting them yeah right well and I see I think we could get into a lot of trouble and I'm not going to go down here but just to comment you know I just look at I'm from Canada so everything that's happening in the United States and um, it's just yeah, it's very, very scary how influential one person or a small group of people can be. And, yeah. you know, I worry that there's going to be a civil war, you know, mm. but anyway, that's a whole other sort of topic. So, yeah. so I guess, you know, taking all of this, just looking at clinical implications, I don't know if you're able to address that piece, you know, what do we do now with all of this information in our everyday life, whether it's an organization or parents with their kids or just in our own daily lives? Yeah, I think uh, in terms of um, the, the, the first finding, which is, it's not really a finding as in it's something new, but it is something that we very much uh, find even more evidence for is the importance of being self-aware. So first of all, you know, in terms of what others are doing and how that might impact you, but even more importantly, you know, how your actions can impact others. So when you say something and you're saying it in quotation marks online, uh, so you're tweeting or you're posting, or, you know, you're communicating it online, uh, be mindful that this has an impact on other people, people you don't know necessarily, and even more so people that you do know. So when you are saying, you know, when you're reposting uh, whatever it is that you think the world needs to know about, um, think about it, you know, do the people that are closest to you, if they read this, what kind of impact would that have on them? Is this purely informational? So, you know, is this just, here are some statistics um, and you are not, you know, uh, telling the story, you're not tweeting something with those statistics. I like, look at these numbers, aren't they scary, right? Um, but if you're just reposting it, what is your, what's the goal behind that, right? Uh, so be mindful in terms of others will affect you and there's nothing wrong with admitting it to yourself first that uh, what I read has an impact on me uh, and how I feel at any given point in time. And of course, you have power as well. So 
I mean, we, you know, I'm uh, in, in organizational psychology, we work a lot with leaders and followers and, and people think leaders are people that have managerial power. Um, that's actually nonsense. And I tell all my students this is nonsense. Uh, leadership is about influence. So if you can influence others to, to work towards a common goal, so my goal is your goal, then you're a leader. So, you know, I ask my students uh, and I teach, you know, 18 year olds all the way to, you know, 50 plus, uh, you know, raise your hand if you have, if you are the older sibling, you know, if you're the oldest and, you know, half of the people, whatever the number is, they raise their hand. I'm like, see, you are leaders already, whether you like it or not. And of course, when I teach, you know, people who are older than myself, that they have kids, right? And so you are also very much a leader, whether you like it or not, because you're a parent. So even when you don't think others are watching and are observing what you're doing and what you're saying and how you behave, even when it's online, they very much are. And of course, they will then share it with others. So then that effect gets, you know, it's a snowball effect then and it impacts other people and so on and so on. So just to make that analogy, how important it is uh, to be self-aware and to realize that you do have power. Uh, so it's your responsibility not to abuse that power as well. And when you do read something that someone that you know uh, has, has communicated online and it brings up, you know, you relate to it, uh, you, you feel empathy, right? Maybe you've been through the same thing uh, or maybe it's just sympathy, right? You can just, you know, relate to this person as an, I'm, I'm sure that's a very difficult time that, that you're having right now. You're going through something difficult in your life. You know, don't, uh, don't hesitate, reach out to that person. Because the worst thing is, if they don't know you at all, they won't write you back, right? Um, and then, okay, no harm done in either way. And the best case scenario, something is, um, you know, some, you, you write someone based on what they've written online, say, hey, uh, I saw what you wrote and uh, I just want you to know, you know, I've been through this or, you know, whatever it is that you want to share with them, that can be, that can make all the difference. Uh, and so, again, power and responsibility, right? So if you do see something, that you can relate to that somehow uh, hits you emotionally one way or the other, positive or negative, um, then, you know, do reach out because social media is not, uh, I, I strongly believe this, it's not as a, as a tool, it's not good or bad. It's how you use it. So it has these effects, which are negative, as in misinformation, disinformation can spread very quickly, but so can you know, good messages and, and allows us to connect to people that we wouldn't have been able to connect to uh, all around the world. So use that, you know, that's, that's a tool and you can use it uh, to have, to make an impact, to make a difference. Yeah. I, I'm always teaching because I work with a lot of families and talking about how influential our words are, even even just simple things, you know, parents who will use safety language, hey, kiddo, put on your seatbelt, but then they mm -hmm. add this catastrophic piece because otherwise you're going to go flying through the windshield and smash your head in, oh, you know, wow. and, yeah. and so yeah. that that's going to provoke anxiety. And so mm. just those little messages, I think that this is huge because we do see it on such a broader, grander scale on, on social media. So I think yeah. that this is really important and um I know for my girls it's they don't have access to social media even though I have a daughter in grade 11 she doesn't mm -hmm. have any social media account and nor does she, is she interested but I do still talk about being this you know what kind of digital citizen do you want to be right how do right. you want to show up because that's going to 
be with you and that's going to stick with you. And yeah. so I see some horrific posts of mm. what teenagers, but adults as well, they put out there and that's out there and that influences people um, and their perspective of you as well. So, yeah. right. And then, and then other people respond to what you've written, right. And then you read those responses and it sometimes can push people to get even more edgy with whatever it is that they that they communicate out into the world so it can push you to write things or to post things or to share things that you wouldn't have had done so otherwise if they wouldn't have you know you know responded in whatever way they did i mean most of the time it's enthusiastically so um so that's the that's the uh bi-directionality of of for example anxiety as well right so if you, you post something maybe you're communicating that you've had a bad day or you're just not feeling like working or whatever it is, right? Uh, and then other people respond to that. And they might just say, you know, um, feeling the same way, you know, hang in there. That's a positive response. Um, but others might be more antagonizing and they might say, well, what did you do all day? That's, that's so making you so anxious, right? Like um, you're, I don't know, you're, you're sitting at home, you're working remotely and can't be that anxious, right? And so that can, going back to what we were talking about at the very, very beginning, you know, if I ask you, please, uh, tell me how anxious you are. I'm putting the thought in your head, which you might not have had before. Uh, and if you did have it before, now to you it seems, oh God, so other people are realizing that I'm anxious. So it's out there. I'm, I don't want to communicate that because we've been kind of taught not to, uh, not to communicate negative emotions to others. But of course we do all the time. Uh, and so it's uh, it's not really beneficial um, for yourself or others. So the first thing is to realize that this is normal, that you will communicate even when you don't think you are. Um, we, we call it, in, in, in our terminology, it's behavioral residue. So it's what's left over of your behavior once you've posted. And like you said, it's out there. It's there forever. So that's the other issue, right? Um, and I think that's very, very important uh, to teach to, uh, uh, to teens and, and just you know, to kids in general that this is, this is something that you know, will be with you always. So think about it, you know, once or twice before you, uh, you know, post that tweet or whatever it is. So, yeah, that's something very, very uh, important. Uh, and like you said, uh, Caroline, your, your words have a lot of power. So be careful or rather be wise in terms of how you use them. Right. And I think a good message, too, for parents to be teaching their teens as well, just being sort of critical sort of consumers and knowing that our feelings really are influenced through through that social yeah. media piece. And so it's and I, I think especially in the teenage years where they're more prone to anxiety and depression and mm -hmm. now they're supporting you know, I've got so many teens who are supporting their friends who are suicidal or who have right. eating disorders or, mm. and so they've got their own stuff. Plus now they're trying to support their peers. And I just think that it, it's just intensified too, you know, through the social media piece. So there's oh, so absolutely. many. And, and it's so, I mean, it must be really overwhelming uh, to them because um, you, you, like you said, you're dealing with your own emotions uh, first and foremost. And then people that are in need that are close to you that you know your friends uh, are going through something tough and now you have to step up and be more than just uh, a friend to them you have to read their emotions interpret them you have to then manage your own in response to theirs and and that can be a lot for anybody never mind somebody who is maybe 13 14 you know and uh, is is, is uh, going through this while attending school and, and doing sports and everything else that 
you know, their social life demands. So yeah, that, that can be incredibly overwhelming. So it's very important to give them those tools as early as you can. And the only way to do that is to, to talk to them, to have conversations with them. But also I think it's very important to, to share uh, vulnerability. So when, when you are not, you know, um, 100% sure about something, you know, don't try to present it as black and white and say, well, you know, this is how I think about it. But, you know, here's these other, these other views. Uh, and this might be something that you, you know, you can read on and we can explore together uh, as well and to see, you know, you can make up your own mind. I think that's something uh, that takes a lot of time uh, because you have to do this periodically uh, all the time. Yeah. But I think those tools, I, I think your, your, your kids will certainly uh, thank you, um, you know, for a very long time in their life for having given them those tools. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Having those conversations are so important. Um, maybe I, I don't, I mean, I still have a million questions, but we don't have a million hours to to talk about everything, right. but the, the one sort of big one that I'm wondering about, and, and maybe this isn't something that you noticed or addressed, but <laughs> did you notice, was there a trend between people who posted, you know, positive sort of hopeful, uplifting things versus more anxiety sort of fear-driven things, or is it just kind of all enmeshed I don't know if you noticed anything. So what do you mean with trend in, in, in what way? In terms of the yeah. impact they have on others? Or? Well, are people who are more likely to post hopeful messages, positive messages, likely to follow people who also have the same sort of messages? Oh, I see what you mean. Or, you mm -hmm. know, are we just versus, you know, the fear mongers, I guess, and we're following them and that's kind of what we're posting? Or is everyone just, it's a little bit of everything? I guess. Yeah. So that's an, that's an important point. So um, let, let me address it in, in two ways. So one, uh, in general, we tend to follow those, engage with those that uh, are similar to us uh, or that we see ourselves in them. We can relate to them on, on some level. Uh, having said that, the study that was talked about earlier about followers in, in influencing um, leaders and vice versa, uh, there is something that we haven't talked about yet, which is, of course, that some people have a uh, personality disposition uh, to be anxious, trade anxious. So in general, these individuals are more anxious than people who score less on trade anxiety, regardless of the circumstance. So crisis, no crisis, uh, important presentation at work, no important presentation, you know, whatever it is, a new environment, maybe a new school or a new workplace, regardless of what it is, some individuals tend to score much higher on trade anxiety than others. So in that study that I was talking about, the results only held for um, less trade anxious leaders. So if a leader is super anxious all the time, right? Like this is just as a person, this is who they are. And then they tweet something that's anxious. Well, how are you going to interpret that? Well, you know, let's say, you know, John is tweeting, but John is anxious all the time. So, you know, tweeting something anxious, so what? You know, it doesn't really impact me as much because I know this person is in general, you know, is very anxious. But if the person is not in general, what you would call very anxious, you know, as, uh, um, as, as someone who is not, you know, in this field, like, well, just in general, this person doesn't seem to be anxious a lot. Then it's going to be so much more impactful when they do communicate something that, that has um, anxiety, you know, within those lines, right? Within the words that they choose. So that, that is an important... Uh, um, boundary condition, so to speak. So it, we, all of this works very well, emotional contagion and so on. Yes, we find that online as well, but it's important to also keep in mind that, you know, personality matters. So some people are naturally 
uh, predisposed uh, to, to more anxiety, just like some people are naturally predisposed to being uh, more extroverted or less extroverted or uh, more agreeable, more tolerant, more friendly people. Um, and so that's something we have to keep in mind that, of course, that matters. And who we are is defined by our behavior, by our actions, but it's also defined by uh, who we are in, in terms of personality. So that's important. And when you are communicating with others, you don't know who's going to read it, right? So it might be somebody who's already quite anxious in general. Right. And now they read something that um, they might know you and, or you might have some sort of power over them in terms of you might be their supervisor, whatever it is. Um, and even though you're not speaking to them directly, right? Because it's Twitter, you're communicating into the universe, so to speak. They, they, they might read it. And if they do read it, that's going to have an impact on them, which neither you nor them might be able to point to and say, this is why I'm more anxious today than I was yesterday. Uh, right. But it's just, it translates into, you know, more tension, uh, maybe more frustration when they're facing obstacles or challenges throughout the day. So that's why it's really important, just want to emphasize that again, that, um, you know, personality does matter as well. So you don't know who the other person is, not just as in their identity, but in terms of, you know, what's their predisposition to right. anxiety, to depression, to, you know, whatever it is, suicidal thoughts. Uh, it might be something, you know, that whatever you write is, is the last thing basically that pushes them over that edge. Um, and then they're going to be in a much worse situation than they were before. And again, right. you might not know about those consequences. Yeah. And most of the time we don't, yeah. uh, and they cannot point to you and say, you did this, right? So be mindful, really. And it takes a lot of practice uh, to do that. And this is just for yourself. And then you have your own children, right? And you want to give them those tools as well. So that can be, I mean, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort, but, you know, it's, it's going to be incredibly beneficial uh, mm -hmm. for, for everyone to be able to practice this in a safe space and then be a much better communicator out in the real world. And I do love the fact that you brought up, you know, we don't know the influence we might have on others. And I think that's yeah. a problem with texting. You know, I see so many people breaking up with each other on text or right, saying yeah. something on text or social media, and we just have a good laugh, but we have no idea what's happening to that other person. I mean, when I was a kid, bullies, we came up, we were face to face, right? Yeah. We are, and we could see the direct effect of our words, but yeah. we, we don't necessarily have that. So thinking about that. Yeah. Well, there's lots to think about. Um, I know that we could probably go on forever. Is there any last minute, anything that you think would be really valuable for listeners to hear that we haven't addressed already? I think um, just uh, based on what you were just saying, just thinking about this, you know, um, go through your, uh, your WhatsApp or your texting, you know, history with the people that are close to you and just, you know, keep scrolling up and just try to relive those moments um, when something was said, you know, that was, emotionally charged uh, one way or the other, whether you did it on purpose or not. Um, it's very difficult to, even though these things happen to you and they happened to you in the past at some point, the longer in the past they've happened, the more difficult it is for you to go back emotionally, you would think, right? Uh, and, uh, and try to feel whatever it is that you're feeling at the point in time. But try do this, like just as a little exercise, you know, and maybe you had an argument or something with someone and, and it was uh, through texting or, uh, or even on social media. And 
you know, go through those messages and try to uh, remember what you felt like emotionally at the time and try to think about it uh, cognitively. Is this how you would feel about it now? Uh, or have you moved on since then? And maybe that exchange in that manner was necessary really at all. Um, or maybe, you know, just the tone was off from the very beginning. And can you try to think about what is it that you wrote and how did the other person interpret it? And why do you think they wrote you back in the way that they did? So uh, that's something that we can do. We, of course, we don't have 100% of the information and we might never have it. Uh, you know, what was the person feeling at the time, right? And, but we do remember what we felt like at the time. So trying to go back and this can be, this is like a little exercise, right? Uh, so this already happened, right? It's in the past. Uh, and so there's no real repercussions from this impacting you uh, in the future, unless this is still a very much emotionally charged uh, topic for you. It's very much, you know, it's very salient. It's very much on top of your mind. So pick something that you know is relatively safe, okay? Go through that exchange and try to make sense of it. And oftentimes what happens is that we don't even remember why was it said this way and why did the other person write back in that way? And I mean, even small things can make a big difference. For example, specifically with texting, right? So um, if someone writes you, like for example, I know if my wife writes me, um, I'll be home later, dot. And she never puts a dot at the end of the message, right? Like I know that there's there's something something is up. Like there's going to be a conversation to be had very soon, uh, because it's just out of the usual. It's just punctuation, right? But it can be that can be an incredibly powerful uh, signal, both ways. It might be on purpose, or it might be oh, just it was autocorrect and it just added a you know dot at the end, uh, or I was you know about to get in the car and I just texted you quickly and. So I didn't realize that I was communicating this, you know. So that's something um, that can go both ways. So maybe it was something really minor. Maybe you were in a particular emotional situation at the time. It doesn't have to be something drastic. Maybe just very frustrated that day or you felt very exhausted for whatever reason. And then someone writes you something and you see it as a, as a challenge or something that like, you know, who is this person that's writing that to me you know, at this very moment? Don't they know how I feel? Of course they don't. So um, try to go back and try to reinterpret those situations and those messages and try to think, how can this be done better going forward? And I'm sure there's going to be lots of different ways of how to address that in a more positive way. Oh, I love that. That's a great little nugget. And actually that's something I do with a lot of the clients that I work with, whether it's couples or parents with their kids, I, I do a lot of communication journals where they analyze mm -hmm. what they said, what I said, how did it turn out? What could we look, some of the traps that we fall into. So I love that right. just yeah. to extend some of this. So, well, thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure chatting with you. I, I know that this will be valuable for everyone who listens. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much, Caroline. Thanks again for having me on. It was a pleasure.